views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. What are you going to do? Based on what we know so far, there's nothing I can do. You don't think drug addiction and exploitation is sufficient cause to, to do something? This situation has existed for a very long time. These two societies are intertwined in a symbiotic relationship. With one society profiting at the expense of the other. That's how you see it. I can synthesize a non-addictive substitute which will ease their withdrawal symptoms. No, I can't do that either. You can't let them have the Felicium. Why? Because it offends against our sensibilities? It is not our mission to impose Federation or Earth values on any others in the galaxy. Well, in this case, Captain, I disagree. One hundred percent. Good morning, London. It is Thursday. May the 7th, I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing, just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And good morning and welcome to the show where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in on today's conversation. And today's subject is really something that, believe it or not, I really have not devoted an entire show to before. After over a hundred broadcasts, I actually was surprised when I checked the list. And that is, I know, a subject that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's an issue that so- sometimes alienates some of my other, otherwise, you know, people who support me on other issues. And that, of course, is the whole issue of drugs, drug laws, drug abuse, whether we're talking about marijuana, alcohol, cocaine, any of the new drugs that are on the market, it's all the same situation. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Going to talk about left and right. Well, how both are actually divided on the whole pot law situation. Marijuana is where we're going to actually um, keep our focus. But we're certainly heading into an age of zero tolerance on drugs in this country. And, of course, I've always said that zero tolerance is the same as 100% intolerance. Not the place you want to be. wasn't even expecting to do this show on this subject until on Tuesday morning. I happened to tune into another radio station on, uh, and I'll tell you, it's BK, and I heard a, um, a, a fellow from the um, Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Graham Norton, Public Safety Project Manager. And he appeared on the subject of the Harper government's introduction of mandatory minimum sentencing, as in a report prepared by Justice Minister Rob Nicholson for, quote, trafficking, production, importation, exportation, end quote, of illegal drugs, which is to include, and listen to this, quote, giving, selling, or sharing, end quote, of drugs. Apparently, the mandatory minimum would apply equal to anyone who had, say, one plant growing in their house or a thousand plants growing in a grow-up. And in addition to the obvious inequities (laughs) and injustice already inherent in these proposals, I think, on face value, Mr. Norton brought to our attention um, the following. 
One, that the proposal is being promoted ostensibly to fight organized crime and gangs, but that it really targets low-level dealers. Two, that passing a joint qualifies you as a low-level dealer. Three, or having a plant qualifies you as a low-level dealer. Four, he notes it does nothing to stem the flow of drugs in the U.S. or elsewhere where they do have mandatory minimum laws. And five, he notes that mandatory minimums have no effect since the deterrent effect, that is, since the vast majority of the people who are charged don't even have a clue what the potential penalties might be. And that kind of applies to all crime, I think. That's something that people rarely take into account. And, of course, number six is interesting, that the provision imposing an automatic two-year sentence on anyone convicted of the above if the act occurred near any location that youth under 18 might frequent, even if no youth are involved. So that includes schools, parks, malls, hangouts, pretty well almost every point and street in the city of Toronto, he said, because if you measure the distance they gave, you'd be close to one of those almost anywhere you are. And, of course, seventh was the general effects on the whole justice system and what it does to the nature of justice by essentially turning it into an injustice system. And adding to, uh, adding to the Civil Liberties Association's case was London lawyer Michael Lerner, who quite correctly, in my opinion, opposed any kind of minimum sentences on any kind of crime, recognizing that the public's distrust, of course, of our current justice system Uh, Lerner reminded us that mandatory minimums remove a judge's discretion, thus ignoring all the individualized factors that are present in any given case. And so his point was, listen, let, let decisions be dependent on the facts and on the judge presiding, he said. And, um, I agree with that principle. I don't agree with the idea that these things should even be against the law, but we're talking about two different things, the principles of the law and the issue of drugs themselves. It's careful to keep, we must be careful to keep those two issues separate. And I agree with that principle in law, punish the criminal, not the crime or the object or whatever else that's far removed from the behavior of the person who the problem is. And sure enough, right after he gets off the air, I hear this caller call in, his name's Dan. He gets on the air saying that, well, you know, he doesn't trust any lawyers or judges and that someone caught growing one plant should get two years minimum in jail, while someone who's caught with a million plants should get a million years in jail. (laughs) You know, like, what's his problem? Um, If he doesn't trust lawyers or judges, well, fine, I can live with that. But by saying what he's saying, he's telling us that he trusts politicians. Make it mandatory. Zero tolerance, scream the intolerant. And apparently the Harper government is listening to the Dans of the world, but not, as the National Post pointed out the other day, to any evidence on the issue, since it was unable to present any evidence to support its proposals. And since all the evidence and logic points you know, in the opposite direction of, of the direction that the Harper government is going in. So, interestingly enough, two sides have emerged in this debate, and you might say, you might think I'm going to pick one and the other, but I actually disagree with both. One side says, okay, the drug use should be a criminal matter. I disagree with that. But the supposed other side says it should be treated as a, quote, health care matter. Um, now, think about that for a minute. Did you hear the opening clip, the Star Trek clip, at the beginning of the show? You know, it's no coincidence that in that opening clip, 
um, from Star Trek The Next Generation that the person who wants the law to do something about a self-inflicted drug problem that others had happens to be the doctor, Dr. Crusher. And the remarkable thing is that Captain Picard chose to abide by the prime directive. In other words, he said, laissez-faire, hands off. But note that he would neither help nor hinder. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to be getting in the way, and he wasn't going to be become an enabler. Uh, anybody with a drug problem, and I think, well, good for him, because that's the right thing to do. That's the right idea. We don't need prohibition of drugs, and we don't need to turn the drug problem into a health care problem. Because if you haven't noticed, we've already got a health care problem for the same reason as we've got a drug problem, and that's because of monopoly, government monopolies. And that's generally all we're arguing about when we're talking about gr- drugs. Who's got the monopoly on it? Bear in mind that uh, most of the draconian laws we have raining down upon us today are being justified as health care matters. That's why you can be fine for smoking, not pot, but tobacco in your car if anybody under 18 is there. Which, of course, leads to the paradox of uh, two or more 17-year-old smokers caught at the same time. Apparently that already happened. Each would be guilty of harming the health of the other. And for this, the police can charge them. But for smoking itself, they have to be caught in the act of buying or selling the product, since, of course, monopolies on trade are essentially what the prohibitions are all about. And so what a, what a ridiculous, contradictory situation. And then there's guns, also part of the drug culture, also subject to prohibition. Also an increasing, not a decreasing problem, especially in those areas where the culture is about gangs and turf, made possible only by our laws and our law enforcement people. Now, I've publicly debated many politicians and law enforcement people over the years on on this very issue. And despite the latest proposal to change the law, whether liberalizing it or restricting it, I gotta tell you, nothing really ever changes because the the way things are now is the way the government really wants it to be. And I'm I'm kinda convinced of that. The debates never change. The issues, the principles, the arguments, the counter arguments, they never change. And you know, whether it's a criminal matter or a health care matter, both of these stances are on the same side of the drug law issue. I think the only other side of the issue is to do away with drug prohibition altogether, forget about drug addicts, punish criminals, not quote, the crime, you punish the criminal who commits the crime, punish actions and behaviors, don't punish the objects and ideas. But reason is not what motivates drug prohibitionists. It's everything from altruism to power. And among the greatest beneficiaries of drug prohibition are the dealers, the governments, the politicians, and the police. And if you're not convinced of that yet, I hope you will be by the end of this show. In the course of today's show, instead of just listening to me preach at you about the folly of this issue, because, of course, we've been there, we've done that, you'll be hearing me play squarely under attack for my position on this by the police, by some politicians, and certainly one well-known media personality, but more on that a little later. What I find um, you know, particularly fascinating on the whole issue of drugs and drug use and marijuana and all that stuff is the total disconnect between, shall we say, the establishment who is making all the rules on trading drugs and, on the other side, the general populace and the culture in the broader sense. So as an example of what I'm talking about, let's take a quick break here for a smile. And when we return, we'll step back and take a look at the big picture, the war on drugs around the world. And then rounding near the bottom of the hour, well, then we'll let the debate begin. So take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Yeah. 
I smoke a lot of pot. Did I say that out loud? Not as much as my grandma. My grandma smokes a lot of pot. Anybody have a grandma that smokes a lot of pot? Wow. It's just freaky, because I never realized she was smoking pot. It's true, because you ever notice that crocheting and rolling a joint look exactly the same from 50 feet away? What are you knitting over there, Grandma? Oh, just something for my glaucoma right over here. I don't understand the problem with pot. I mean, it's not like booze. Booze gets me in trouble. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the, the drink. Oh, man, booze is the only reason I've ever had to apologize for peeing in somebody's face. That's a booze moment right there, huh? Oh, and what is it about booze that makes the Adam's apples of transvestites invisible, huh? Some jokes you just gotta give a second. But pot doesn't get you in any of that trouble, you know? Pot's great. We gotta legalize it. Not even legalize it. Legalizing it's too wishy-washy, you know? If you're gonna go that way, let's go all the way. Make it mandatory. Because pot does nothing but make you shop and eat. That's the worst thing it does. I have smoked marijuana. I find nothing wrong with it. I think marijuana turns shredded weed into honey nut Cheerios. <laughs> I never smoked it before I go on stage. I tried that once in Vancouver. <laughs> Somebody gave me a joint of that Vancouver skunkweed mind screw up, bud. You ever have this? You smoke that stuff, Jerry Lewis does a telethon for you. Hey, lady! I smoked half a joint of this stuff. I was so stoned on stage, I told the same story twice in a row. Well, that's it. No more pot for me before I go on stage. It's embarrassing. Because the last time I did it, I got so stoned, I told the same story twice in a row. Thank you. That's the joke. Thank you. And that's pretty much, you know, the attitude that you'll find out there. Welcome back. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 on your FM dial. I'm Bob Metz, and this you can call 519-661-3600 if you've got anything to add to this subject. Which brings us to the great debate. Um, you know, it was only a few short years ago, and by that I mean before the Harper government, that the nation was talking about decriminalizing and or legalizing marijuana. They weren't talking about mandatory minimum sentences and tightening it up. It's all too, you know, too reminiscent of the whole global warming debate, which again, only about what, 25 years ago was the global cooling debate. Let's cover Greenland in black soot so we can attract the sun's rays to help melt the advancing ice was actually one serious consideration that they published in Time magazine. Same people that are pushing it today. And today, of course, it's a panic attack when that same ice is now receding because no matter where that ice is positioned at any given time, to environmentalists it will never be sitting in the spot where this show is. And that, of course, is just right. So, too, it is with drug, the whole drug debate which is just another manifestation of the desire of some people to control others and more specifically some interests versus other interests and that means monopoly interests specifically and even though it's not my big focus in political life I've made it a point to participate in public debates on the subject of prohibition and as I was going through Freedom Party's video archives last week 
I was surprised to find how many public appearances over the years I've actually made on this subject. I've been in the news. I've been. If you had asked me, I would have said, hmm, I don't really remember. But, you know, when you get asked about something, people come to me not because I'm into that issue particularly, but because they know that I will take a, that principle sp- stand on freedom and they want to see how I'm going to apply it to what is otherwise considered a very difficult issue. And one of the reasons I do it, I I actually believe, you know, drug prohibition is poisoning our entire geopolitical system. It destabilizes the world. It corrupts governments and the whole political process. Uh, The drug war is literally destroying freedom and justice, and these very things are becoming kind of more obvious to the world leaders as they start discussing them in some of their uh, get-togethers that they have in various locations around the world. I think that the whole drug war is plain and simple. It's an obscenity. It is evil. It is wrong on principle and in practice. Um, you know, and I don't use any of the drugs in there. I've tried pot. I've uh, tried alcohol. I never got into tobacco. Um, I mean, there's my exciting life for you. But um, as an official spokesman for an organization that stands for freedom on principle, I think it would be irresponsible not to accept these invitations when they're offered. And that's partly why I'm here on this show, because I was asked, and I said, hey, yeah, okay. And, and I know that when people get asked to appear on a subject like this, you know, they go, oh, I don't want to touch that one. And that's very scary. It's kind of an unpopular debate, you know, to be having. So what, you won't go? I don't know. No, I know there is a lot of people who would disagree with me. So um, let's start hearing from a few of those people I have encountered over the years. So let's hop into our Wayback Machine and Consider this, the year is now 2002. It is July 29th. The show is Michael Corrin Live, and this is at a time when it was not yet being broadcast in the immediate London area or on any London cable services, but was widely available in most areas around the province. We were actually one of the last areas to hook hook on. Now, I got this copy of the show from a friend of mine who happened to have a satellite dish, and uh, the quality was very, very good. And the show, of course, was actually live then, not pre-taped as it is uh, today. And the subject of the day was the legalization of marijuana. There were four panel members, and one was an uh, owner-operator of a cannabis culture store. One was a law enforcement representative. Not sure whether he's provincial or federal, but you'll hear in a sec. Um, One was a political representative from government. And, of course, the last one was me and my guys as uh, president of Freedom Party. Um, I'll leave the introductions to Michael Corrin himself, and after the first round of blood is spilt, we will be taking a break for ads, whereupon we'll be back with a second round. And if you're unfamiliar um, with the way that Michael conducts his interviews, sort of like a pit bull who won't let go of your leg if he doesn't like something you've got to say, uh, then make this your chance to sample a piece of this show, which, by the way, continues to air nightly on CTS. I think it's number 16 on Rogers Cable. Corrin has become as much a newsmaker himself as an interviewer, not only because he's had a few notoriously outrageous guests, but because he does like to push everybody's buttons. So never let it be said I don't give the other side an even break. And after it's all over, I'll be back live to pick up a few of the pieces where you can call 519-661-3600 to come on on anything you might have heard, either from myself or from one of the other participants. You're listening to CHRW 94.9 FM on your radio dial, so grab your car your tea, or take that 
toke there, but don't inhale because apparently that makes it all okay, or at least politically correct. <laughs> uh, fasten your seatbelt as we pull out of the station and prepare for the ride that inevitably ensues when frankness and blunt speak are present in the conversation. We'll see you in a bit. Tonight, legalizing cannabis. It's actually decriminalizing, but I can't say that word very well. So anyway, we'll talk about that. It'll be busy. Um, a lot of people watching who do, of course, think that cannabis should be everywhere probably can't get to the phone or certainly can't dial the numbers properly. We want a great panel assembled. Derek Lee, MP of Scarborough, Rouge River, Liberal, of course, House Special Committee, Non-Medical Use of Drugs. Welcome to you, sir. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Ever smoked? Ever inhaled? No. I must have breathed secondhand smoke, though. Had to. Oh, what a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Miller, Administrator, Police Association of Ontario, who's never even seen drugs, probably. Uh, they've been around. <laughs> they've been around. From but the other side of the fence. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Metz, President, Freedom Party of Ontario. Who doesn't really care about the drug itself, merely the, the right to use it, I suppose. Absolutely. There you go. Ella? Yes. You have? Of course. What was it like? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Robin Ellens, proprietor, friendly stranger. What on earth is that? It's a cannabis culture shop. You, we... you sell drugs to people? Definitely not. Uh, we sell everything related to the cannabis culture to the cannabis culture. Yeah, sounds interesting. Uh, Derek, begin with you because you've been on the House Special Committee. Uh, legalization, decriminalization, the, the difference between the two, and where do we stand at the moment? Well, legalization would be laissez-faire. It's just out there, you buy and sell it to whatever, whatever you want. Decriminalization means that we would uh, remove it from the criminal code and the more strict procedural sections of the code and the Food and Drug Act, and uh, or the Controlled Substances Act now, and then it, it would still decriminalization would still restrict the drug it would still be illegal to possess it but if if one were to be found it would be like getting a speeding ticket or a speeding offense something like that mm -hmm. um, purely summary conviction more like a fine than imprisonment and uh, probably would get into the courtroom very often right. fine ticket pay the fine that kind of thing it would still be controlled this is possession for personal use I assume. that's right oh yeah larger amounts and trafficking and all that as I see it uh, there are not many advocates to change that. Yeah. The, the, um, the crime element of, of it is still there, the, the distribution. Um, so all of those things would stay roughly the same, but, but the, the reason for this is that more and more people are coming to the conclusion that, that moderate use of marijuana is, in, in the scheme of things, uh, really a no-brainer. It, it, it is not there are so many other bigger fish to fry, the other drugs, the other areas of criminality, the thefts and the insurance claims, and, and uh, um, the, the, the breakdown in society, uh, or at least in lives of people who become addicted, mm -hmm. addicted to drugs, to, to substances, and sometimes that's alcohol. Yeah. But uh, that this is where the big money is, this is where the big harm is, and it is not in the personal use of small amounts okay. of marijuana. Sounds reasonable. Uh, we'll discuss this later. I, I don't know why people need to use uh, uh, substances like this. L life is vibrant enough if you live it properly. But if they do, there are so many worse things that carry on. But hasn't this actually been what the police have been doing for years anyway? I, I know a lot of cops, and they know people who possess the stuff. They're not going to bother. They're going for the bad guys. And they say, I can arrest someone there and there. I'm not going to waste my time and yours. So uh, hasn't this been the status quo anyway, to a large extent? Well, that's right. And there's a lot of misinformation. I mean, Derek speaks about people going to jail and imprisonment. I mean, that's not happening. Police officers can use their discretion as to whether to lay a charge or not. Mm -hmm. uh, over 
90% of the cases, uh, other charges are laid. We're dealing with criminals that, who are being charged for this. But the big issue here is, I mean, we've been telling our youth for years to say no to drugs. Yeah. We spend all these money on these different programs to keep kids away from drugs, because we all know that drugs are ruining our communities. There's no question about sure. that. And if we turn around and we decriminalize or we legalize, it's sending the wrong message to youth, and it's going to have tragic consequences. It's been tried in other countries, and it hasn't worked. It's been proven to be a failure. True? Not at I all. Don't know. In fact, if you take a good Nothing's look at what's happening in other countries, you'll find that uh, use in their youth is half what it is in North America. So and it's Sweden strictly because. No, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, the Netherlands and Switzer uh, Switzerland. Uh, both of these countries have a much more tolerant approach to the cannabis issue. You can buy cannabis at either a coffee shop or your local hemp shop. Um, there's no fear of criminal prosecution, and it's a regulated. Uh, industry whereby taxes are collected at the point of sale. Um, they've I should say though, because the Netherlands is frequently used uh, as this uh, uh, great example uh, of uh, libertarian virtue, if you like. I find much of the Netherlands disgusting. Amsterdam is, is such a center of decadence. Uh, would is, you take your but, child but to Amsterdam and say We, we have a lot around? of issues that we're not properly dealing with in this country and the prostitution issue and all these other issues are part of that package. What they've done is say, look, these things go on. We have to tolerate them to some degree. Let's at least regulate it. Uh, when it comes to cannabis, the use is down because it's not a forbidden fruit. Uh, the education about the use of cannabis is in the school system. And because they're not saying just say no, they're saying that caffeine does this, alcohol does this, and tobacco does this, and cannabis does this, they can make an educated decision as to what they partake in. Is there a qualitative uh, comparison between a cup of coffee and regular use of cannabis? Oh, I would say it's uh, uh, on a fairly similar play field as far as the, uh, in fact, caffeine is far more addictive. There's no question about it. Oh, I, there's absolutely yes, no way I can go that's a true. day without my cup of coffee, but I wouldn't have to smoke with all due respect, for weeks. That, that's a stemmed about you personally. Uh, people can go without a cup of And if you drink one cup of coffee a day, I simply don't believe that. If you're on 10, that's different. But if you drink one cup of coffee and you can't break that one cup, come on. Well, it's like they say, you know, there's, there's really no bad drugs. There's only bad habits. And that's where you get into the problems. But the problem I... Like, Before you go on, yeah. ba bad means the absence of good. Tell me what is good about cocaine. I don't know, but the users do. And, and you know, sometimes like I hear doctors talking about cigarettes, and, and the, the first way to beat cigarettes is to admit what's good about them. Yeah, but hold on, that, this, that, this is important because you made a statement. Well, I mean, I, 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 well I'm not talking about cocaine. No, but you, you said there's no such thing as a well. bad drug. A bad means absence of, of, I want to know what is good about cocaine. The people who well, use it, what do they, they tell you from their hospital bed or they speak no, from their grave? No, bad. I agree with you. No, I, I, fine, but that statement was a one which I have to comment uses, on. Okay, let's take your example, cocaine. A person who uses cocaine is not necessarily bad because he uses it. He I agree. He hasn't beat you up. He hasn't He's confronted your right. If you want to believe that, if, if, if a person can make himself a victim... Out, out no, of what I mean is that someone who uses cocaine isn't necessarily a bad person, but the act is bad, self-destructive, generally leads to violence towards others, certainly violence I towards themselves. I might agree with that. So I might agree with that. But that's physically addictive and does cause crime, and the fact that people sure. who do get addicted to a substance like that have to come up with the funds in order to sustain a habit like that. Yeah. Which is a prohibition problem. With, exactly. And that's, but with, that's we're what talking concerns me. But, yeah. but we we shouldn't be well, talking cocaine. No, we should be talking but I can't allow a comment like there's no such thing as a bad drug. I can't let that pass. 
Well, I mean, any more than I can say. A, a drug is a thing. No just thing like as there's a, a, a cup, or even a gun can't be considered a bad thing. It's what you do with it. And a person who, you know, some people, for some people, chocolate is bad. For some people, coffee is bad. I so can't a, a gun, a gun can be used, and I would hate to do it, but a gun could be used to defend a group of people who yes. would be murdered by some stormtrooper. Um, cocaine can't be used for people, good purpose. Why do people use cocaine? They use cocaine desperation, for, perhaps, perhaps as a recreational drug. I mean, David Suzuki did a quite quite an in-depth analysis on this, and he gave all the reasons why people use drugs. There isn't just one. Well, and why so, would Quoting David Suzuki about well, the issue is important. Because and you would think that 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 he was against it for a long time, and now he's talking on the other side of the issue. Why are we talking but, about cocaine? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's my concern. Because you said, and I've refused to allow this to pass. To well, I have a show. I will not allow. I'm sorry, but I won't allow someone to say there's no such thing as as, as a bad drug. I can't let that pass and go home and look well, at myself and my Michael, kids. In the context, I meant it. You could say that about food. Some people overeat food, and you could, is there such a thing as a bad food? Are, are potato chips bad for you? Are, yeah. Are, well, but, but you just said that, there's no such thing as a bad drug. I'm sorry, drugs don't I can't make that moral comment decisions. Pass. Only people do. Things That's do right. not have morality about them. Only well, go to a break. Uh, commercials, all for very good things, I'm sure. Maybe some bad things too. I just don't know. Back in Not bad. Good. Yeah, I guess I'm listening to your program, and yeah, I definitely think you should legalize it too. We should, um, because I think that it's already been proven to be um, helpful for people who have AIDS or who have multiple sclerosis. Yeah, actually, you, but Jeff, to interrupt you, that's a different issue. This is a non-medical use. I think. Uh, if someone is in absolute agony and they can be helped by something, that's a different issue. We're talking here, though, about the non-medical, recreational use. I also want to comment, because I, I do smoke myself occasionally, yeah. and, you know, like, it does make you feel good. It relaxes you. I think that if everybody who smoked tobacco would pick up a, you know, a joint and smoke a joint instead of smoking a cigarette, I think the world would be a lot more peaceful place. Yeah, that, that, that's quite a jump, Jennifer. Uh, I don't smoke tobacco or cannabis, and I relax with, uh, I don't know, banal things like uh, music and uh, relationships and so on. But uh, is that necessary? I mean, look, tobacco is bad. Tobacco is addictive. It gives you cancer. It gives you heart disease. It's awful. People shouldn't smoke. They have been. Uh, big tobacco has targeted ethnic minorities, the young. It's a horrible industry. It's done terrible stuff. We had um, Jeffrey Wigand, you know, who the model for the movie, The, uh, the, the Insider, on, on the show. But the, it's, the argument is frequently used, that's all bad, but cannabis is just great. It relaxes me. I, I, I don't want to sound patronizing, but I think it's pathetic. I think <laughs> it's a pathetic argument myself because it has nothing to do with the major problem, which is, in the case of cannabis, prohibition. I mean, we can decriminalize, but as long as we have prohibition in place, we haven't changed the, the if you want to talk about a drug culture, the criminal culture uh -huh. that will continue to profit at, at other people's expenses by going around the law. I mean, who benefits from prohibition? Number one, you've got organized crime. If I were in the business of selling drugs, I would be number one in favor of prohibition. Number I don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. I get, that's 50% off right off the top there. I don't have to worry about you know, other people 
getting in on my territory because the police are basically protecting my monopoly for me by getting rid of all the small guys. And then you've got things like the drugs and pharmaceutical companies who benefit from not having some of the extracts of marijuana put into medicines as they used to be before the 1920s. You have dictators of terrorist nations who benefit from drug prohibition. If we legalize drugs today and, and marijuana, we would get rid of half of those problems overnight. And I believe that the, that the average use of drugs would drop on a per capita basis. Do you want to legalize things other than cannabis? I, I don't believe that we should ever put someone in jail for using a drug regardless of what the drug is. Mm -hmm. um, legalizes makes it sound like you're going to go out on the variety store and pick it up for yourself. But, but no, just get rid of the prohibition part of it. Right. We control many substances in our society. Some are chemicals, some are things that have to do with, you know, right. just corrosive things that you can't, you have to be careful with, you know. But we don't put people in jail. What about people who sell? Drugs. Well, if we're going to, quote, decriminalize and let people buy and use, yeah. to go after the guy who's selling that person who's using the, the, the drug is an, an unequal use of the law. You're, you're saying this guy's innocent and this guy's guilty, and that, to me, defeats the whole purpose of equality before and under the law, selling, and, and you're going to have some pretty bad effects selling, as a Selling result. guns? Is that okay, too? Well, that's, that's an issue totally... I don't know who sells guns. I don't know where the police buy their guns, but somebody sells guns. They have to make them. I mean, you're avoiding the issue. Well, no, the, the guns are not the issue. Marijuana. The, the, issue, the, the issue. The issue is your argument seems to be just look, do whatever you want to do. No, within within the law, you so have to. As long as it doesn't harm anybody else. As long else, as you yourself. never initiate force against as someone. As long as it doesn't harm anyone else. No, Who defines what is harmful? And let's stay away from the smokescreen too, because it's been tossed up again, and no surprise, I'm going to disagree with you again. Smoke but we're not putting people in jail for possession. We are not. He, said say, yeah, he asked me about other drugs, I, and I said, I don't believe we're going to be in jail for drugs. No, Robin, don't you, say you we're know guys who I, I know kids who've come into the shop, 17, 18-year-old kids who've got caught for smoking a joint in the public park around the corner, who have got $500 fines and 100 hours of community service work and for smoking a, a joint. No criminal conviction. This is something they've started control called a diversion program the within the, within okay. the city the uh, that allows them to bypass the courts. but. $500 fine? That's, that's really more than the cost though. That's a great thing. So they've got, they've got to help old people but and the handicapped. But they're not criminals. These are the kids who are exploring their youth, looking for things to programs, do. Alternative justice is not a criminal record. No, so let's not, be clear on that. That yeah, is starting to happen. The why but at the same time, the punishment the doesn't fit the crime. Just well, I, I, don't I, bother. I would agree. A 16, 17-year-old kid who smokes a joint should maybe be told by a cop, I would hope, put it out, go home. Yeah, I mean, you know, worse is a kid who... would be applied to a cigarette. Uh, yeah, who, if they're underage, far more damaging Absolutely. as a kid who will try and slash someone or steal something. Um, but sometimes they do, they, they do go through the courts or they do, I mean, the, the punishment does seem a bit severe. Well, it rips families apart. Well, it happens all the time. We've had property forfeiture over already in Kingston where, they, where they've taken a farm from a, a farmer because somebody grew some marijuana on his property. The new drug laws that we have in this country. That's trafficking and cultivation. Those are major amounts. But, that's but not why a are we confiscating this guy's farm? Instead, let's dealers. give this guy a license to grow cannabis, not heroin, not cocaine, not any of these harmful substances produced in laboratories, we're talking about a plant in a field, in a farm field that's grown under license, that's sold across the counter, under permit, and taxed and regulated. What about, guy Cross, but, what about your, uh, your minister who admitted he did smoke but didn't inhale? Will he be allowed into the United States? That's not an issue. He hasn't been convicted. <laughs> <laughs> Even the admission, though, isn't that enough? No. 
The public admission is no, not sufficient. I must say the government down there is pretty pretty hard line. It's a conservative government in the U.S. and uh, they're pretty hard line on these it, things. And they've communicated the that. Their uh, legislators have communicated it, communicated to us uh, that uh, they would like Canadians us to maintain the a, a hard line. Into the states but with trick questions. They got yeah, customs officials yeah. saying, "Have you ever been in trouble for smoking cannabis?" You can I, say I mean, no, I, or have you ever tried cannabis? And if people say yes, border. that's enough for them to actually our stop. Our border, let our them. government is directing revenue collection, not enforcement. Yeah. So let's yeah. let, let's our, let's give a hand back. Let's be fair. Americans are entitled. I've, I've, be, I've been bullied side. by American guys. I, I, I've been treated yeah. badly. I've never been asked anything. Maybe I look too boring, but I've never been asked anything about uh, drug use. Uh, Aaron, Bart, Linda, all the, we've been a bit too slow. I have been slow with the call. As soon as we come back, all of you, I promise you. And welcome back. That was from the Michael Corrin Show way back on July 29th, 2002. You're listening right now to CHRW 94.9 FM. On your FM dial, where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call. Don't know what you picked up from that discussion, but it's interesting. Just listening to it now, I picked up a few things I hadn't noticed before, especially the whole bad drugs, good drugs thing. Notice we were talking about coffee at the time, and Michael says, uh, well, yeah, you can drink one cup a day, that's okay, but ten cups he could understand you might be addicted to. So there's an example of bad drug, good drug, in terms of the way he might be looking at it. But you never should be attaching bad and good to the thing, only to the behavior. And I think that's the big problem in the whole issue. So bad habits, bad drugs, bad policies, good policies, or can we even really say? It's really funny how that bad, good word comes up because just last month, March 7th, the front page story of The Economist, how to stop the drug wars. Prohibition has failed. Legalization is the least bad solution, they argue. But there's an interesting history here, and I think, uh, and I'm doing two things here. I really do not like their defense. They're, they're going to sound like they're, you know, supporting my point of view, but I want to point out where I differ from this. But uh, the history is interesting. And they write, quote, 100 years ago, and by the way, this is the 100th year anniversary of drug prohibition in the world. Before that, the idea of prohibiting drugs was unheard of, uh, and less, less that long in North America, of course. But a hundred years ago, a group of foreign diplomats gathered in Shanghai for the first ever international effort to ban trade in a narcotic drug. On February 16, 1909, they agreed to set up the International Opium Commission, just a few decades after Britain had fought a war with China to assert its right to peddle the stuff. Many other bans of mood-altering drugs have followed. In 1998, the UN General Assembly committed member countries to achieving a, quote, drug-free world and to, quote, eliminating or significantly reducing the production of opium, cocaine, and cannabis by 2008. Sounds like uh, the plan to eliminate child poverty by 2000. But they go on. That is the kind of promise politicians love to make. It assages the sense of moral panic that has been the handmaiden of prohibition for a century. It is intended to reassure the parents of teenagers across the world. Yet it is a hugely irresponsible promise because it cannot be fulfilled. <laughs> Thinking, what does that say about every political promise? Anyways, uh, in fact, the war on drugs has been a disaster, reports The Economist, creating failed states in the developing world even as addiction has flourished in the rich world. By any sensible measure, this 100-year struggle has been illib illiberal, murderous, and pointless. 
That is why The Economist continues to believe that the least bad policy is to legalize drugs. Now here's the part that gets interesting and in when they write, quote, least bad does not mean good. Legalization, though clearly better for producer countries, would bring different ri risks to consumer countries, end quote. So, you know, I read that and I, and I think, well, okay, in other words, they're saying there's good reasons to be illiberal, murder, murderous, and pointless by the writer's own assessment of prohibition. He's saying it's murderous for heaven's sakes. So that's a good thing in any way? Uh, you know, ending all murder does not mean good? Uh, you know, this is such a typically conservative argument based on pragmatism again. Or, you know, I'm thinking right away, for the greater, greater good for the greater number with morality eliminated from the thinking altogether. And sure enough, what's the next sentence? Quote, many vulnerable drug takers would suffer, but in our view, quote, more would gain. Which, of course, means that if sometime in the future it turned out they believe more would gain by returning to prohibition and its illiberal, murderous, and pointless ways, the economist would support it but they wouldn't go so far as to call it a bad thing, you know. For, for economists and technocrats, it's always uh, the not bad side against the not good side. This basically summarizes the whole immoral and amoral um, stance of the economist, which tends to parallel sort of a mechanical morality, to which I guess most economists subscribe. You know, they think, uh, well, if we can tinker with this price here and cut this cost there, only a few people will kill, get killed or go under. As long as more would gain, uh, we'll support it. Then it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And that's the very kind of thinking, of course, that got us into the horror of drug prohibition that's, that the magazine is criticizing. So, you know, while I take the editorial stance of The Economist with a grain of salt, uh, given the honest picture the magazine paints of the problem, though, you have to scratch your head and ask, why are you avoiding this moral judgment on this? Again, from The Economist, quote, Indeed, far from reducing crime, prohibition has fostered gangsterism on a scale that the world has never seen before. According to the UN's perhaps inflated estimate, the illegal drug industry is worth some $320 billion a year. In the West, it makes criminals out of otherwise law-abiding citizens. And uh, the current American president, it notes, could easily have ended up in prison for his youthful experiments with blow. It also makes drugs more dangerous. Addicts buy heavily adulterated cocaine and heroin. Many use dirty needles to inject themselves, spreading HIV. The wretches who succumb to crack or meth are outside the law with only their pushers to treat them. Even a relatively developed democracy such as Mexico now finds itself in a life-or-death struggle against gangsters. American officials, including a former drug czar, have publicly worried about having a narco state as their neighbor. Legalization would not only drive away the gangsters, it would transform drugs from a law and order problem into a public health problem, which I disagree with, <coughs> which is how they ought to be treated, they argue. Governments would tax and regulate the drug trade and use the funds raised to educate the public and to treat addiction, end quote. You know, I can't believe that The Economist actually believes this, because that's exactly what they're telling us now about the taxes on cigarettes. You know, how's that one going? Really well, eh? Uh, are th and are they moving in the direction of educating the public and treating addiction? No, they're moving towards more prohibition. But this time in the name of public health, you know. Uh, hello out there, anybody there? <laughs> and, you know, it's just amazing. 
So uh, they basically say there's two, two, two main reasons that prohibition should be scrapped. The first is the one of liberal principle. You know, they basically say, although some illegal drugs are extremely dangerous to some people, most are not especially harmful. This is interesting. Tobacco is more addictive than virtually all of them. Most consumers of illegal drugs, including cocaine and even heroin, take note, uh, take them only occasionally. They do so because they derive enjoyment from them as they do from a whiskey or a Marlboro Light. It's not the state's job to stop them from doing so. Secondly, legalization offers the opportunity to deal with addiction properly. So anyway, anyways, they're saying, yeah, we should legalize it, but you know, if you can't say it's good, where's the moral imperative to try it? Maybe in another century, the economist might be able to bring itself to the point of being able to say that word, you know, and that would be good. So here you've got one conservative magazine, British, which is kind of on the left side of the ocean politically, making this argument against the prohibition of all drugs, while our homegrown Canadian conservative government wants mandatory minimum sentences for a crime that's only a crime because they say so. And that's exactly how I felt when I found myself on a broadcast of uh, TV London, a channel, I don't know what they called it here then, on inquiry, way back in 1993, May 1st to be exact, 16 years and one week ago. So here is, uh, this next clip is an excerpt from that encounter, and this was uh, hosted by Phyllis Bennett, which features myself in debate with then uh, London Police Superintendent Jim Balmain on pot laws. Now, the, so the sound is not quite up to par on this one. It's an older tape, but it's still pretty good. And uh, I'll never cease to be amazed how uh, the police especially continue to make the same contradictory arguments over and over again to this very day. And when all's been said and argued, their bottom line is always the same. Well, it's against the law. End of story. Back after this. Criminalizing uh, marijuana. Well, you know, this is all part of it. When misinformation and disinformation is being used to justify laws, you have to suspect that something, something is wrong with that law. And again, it comes back to the issue of, of what are we trying to do with our drug laws? Are we trying to um, decrease the use of drugs? Because if that's the case, we don't need drug laws. The facts are in overall use of drugs is declining, both in legal drugs and in illegal drugs. Even President Bush said this when he launched his famous you know, uh, war on drugs again, he began with the preamble that while all you know, major drug use is down, the war is not over yet. And then, that, then he called for more resources to be pumped into this war. Education is winning the battle in the long run. And I think, uh, you know, I've read studies as well, that one difference between legal drugs and illegal drugs is that the illegal drugs get stronger and more dangerous. Each time one drug is made illegal, a stronger drug comes along. In the legal drug field, you see a move the other way. More people are quitting smoking. You see low-tar cigarettes, wine coolers, light beers, even zero-alcohol beer. Who would have ever heard of such a thing before? And that's been the trend anywhere that laws like this occur. And I'd also like to say something about um, the, the statements made about the studies in Europe and in Britain. It, uh, certainly what was said here earlier was totally contrary to what I've just read and what I've just seen 60 minutes just a few weeks ago. Uh, called it a resounding success, um, taking pe getting rid of prohibition in Britain and letting addicts fund their own addiction, but under government supervision and control. It was a resounding success from everything I've seen. So clearly, the statistics that each side is using are going to always be geared to their arguments. So fundamentally, I think the issue here is, what right does the law have to tell an individual in the privacy of his own home what he can do with his own life and body? That's the fundamental issue here. 
And we're not talking about children. Children are a separate issue. Well, the law translates into to the legislatures and our own governments that we elect. And where they're just saying that we'll wear seat belts because it saves us money down the road in injuries and traffic accidents, or we won't smoke marijuana because the, the active ingredient in marijuana is, is tetrahydrocannabinol, and that's a mind-bending drug. It's a hallucinogenic-type drug. And back in the 60s and 70s, most marijuana was about 1%, 1.5 THC. Now, homegrown here in the city is 15%, the, what they call the so-called real good stuff from Mexico is up as high as 25 to 30 percent, and that is very powerful narcotic. Well, that precisely coincides with what I just said. The drug is illegal and it's getting stronger. But the issue again is you can't compare seat belts to smoking marijuana. No, seat I belts, compare it to the, when you said why make a law that... You can make a law, and I would support a law, that you can't smoke marijuana or drink alcohol or do any drugs on the streets or in public. We're not talking about public property under any circumstance. That's where your jurisdiction, I agree with, should be enforced. But I think that the police themselves are losing a lot of respect and, and that citizens start to disrespect the law because of drug laws. Uh, when you're treated the same as a criminal or viewed by society the same as a criminal for doing something that you regard as totally harmless to anyone else, and this is the issue we're not dealing with, is that there, a lot of people out there may hear all this evidence, but they disagree with it. But to, should, should individuals be allowed to decide whether or not an act is illegal? Well, we do, collectively, through our governments, and that's why we're debating an issue like this publicly now. I mean, that's the function of a democracy, that's the function of our court system. I mean, I'm not saying that we should all go out and, and be civilly disobedient. No, we're not debating should or should not we introduce a new law. There's already a law in the book saying that this is a criminal offense. And, and personally, if if I know that's a criminal offense and I take it upon myself to smoke marijuana, I will not come crying because I now have a criminal record like, oh, this is, this is terrible, like I didn't know this. And I worked in narcotics and that year I earned 2.8 million dollars. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> People ask me all the time to go, hey man, when cops confiscate marijuana, do you guys burn it? Yep. <laughs> a little bit at a time. <laughs> Hemp is the weed from which marijuana is derived. In Canada, it's been illegal to possess or grow it since 1923. But Mardi Gras organizers emphasize that hemp is also an ideal source for paper, fabric, energy, and medicine. In fact, they say legalizing the plant could solve Canada's biggest woes. Because there's 25,000 different products that can be made from the hemp plant that have nothing to do with getting high, and that should not be restricted. We can produce 500,000 jobs and upwards of $100 billion for the Canadian economy by the year 2000. Speakers from Canada and the U.S. encouraged people to fight until hemp is decriminalized. Many in the crowd supported the cause, but were unimpressed with the event. I mean, they're not talking about um, the environmental qualities of it. They're just, they're just like encouraging indulgence in excess and not really talking about anything intelligently. I've been known to take a puff over the last quarter century, and I would say if the particular speaker I heard 
addressing the audience is representative of who we're looking at to help us legalize marijuana, then I'll quit. In these pre-election days, the pro-hemp groups have found an unlikely alliance with one political party. We may not like it, we may think it's disgusting, we may disapprove entirely, but as a society, we really don't have any right to do anything about it until someone acts irresponsibly. And, of course, uh, the last voice you heard there, of course, was yours truly, and that was from a global news TV broadcast of August 22, 1993. And, of course, the uh, quote-unquote at least one political party was Freedom Party. Um, some interesting responses there in that global news interview. You, you notice the disparity between those on the right who want cannabis legalized and those on the left who want cannabis legalized. It was kind of funny. And the reason you heard those interviewed pot smokers being very critical of what they heard was due to the fact that they heard from a number of speakers who wanted to legalize cannabis for industrial purposes, for production, for profit, for creating jobs and all those horribly, horribly capitalist things, and not just for getting high. So the idea of hemp, paper, fabric, energy, medicine, oh my, that's a turnoff for them. Clearly, they were environmentalists who were really being anti-capitalists. They objected to completely green alternatives because they were being sold under, you know, productive capitalist principles. They don't like that. Green is not what they're about. Letting pot grow naturally with just enough for personal survival and consumption is what environment environmentalists are really into. And if you don't need it, it's indulgence and it's greed. That's the, it's the same thing over and over again. But the idea of producing hemp in quantity for profit, well, you know, that's just too much for the little lefty darlings, so much for their environmental concerns. They hate freedom and capitalism so much. They'd happily destroy their own freedom and the environment that they say they care about so much. And, you know, if capitalism is what it takes to get a lefty to quit smoking pot, well, you know, what a way to straighten out the world, eh? Now, I see my time is running out very quickly here. I have so many other little points uh, that I could mention. Um, got some, um, you know, a lot of things here. I want to do point out that even though there are no bad drugs and only bad habits, uh, I, as I've always said, no drugs are safe, illegal, legal, prescription, alcohol, aspirin, all entail risks. That's just the bottom line. Now, I came to a totally different conclusion, and this just hit me for the first time last night. And, um, you know, I remember Ayn Rand was once asked whether there was an issue of morality when you're drinking liquor or any kind of, you know, taking drug. I think they were talking about boozo. And her answer was basically, so long as one uses the drug for enjoyment and not to escape reality, um, there's not really any moral issue involved. Now, she didn't feel the same way about other drugs, including pot, based on her understanding that they could not be used in a non-reality-avoiding way, which apparently is not the case. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's not reality that people are trying to escape when their drug use becomes abuse or addiction, but instead if they're trying to escape from the unreality that is constantly being thrust upon them by a governing establishment that is about as far removed from any elements of reality as one can possibly be. You see how people react to the, their environment when things just don't make sense and, and they're being punished for being good and they're being uh, you know, rewarded for being bad. It doesn't make sense to them. 
And it's getting harder to tell these days with almost the entire world, including the West, mired in all these collectivist notions like socialism and government partnership in the economy. But in very recent times past, um, and still to some extent today, it was always glaringly clear that the greatest abuse of alcohol and every other imaginable drug occurred in those countries and regions where unreal ideas and unreal politics basically ruled the day. So, you know, it's my guess there's more people escaping from unreality through the use of drugs than there are those few who can't handle uh, reality under any conditions. Uh, for them, yes, drugs are an excuse, and that is bad. But it should not be illegal. And that's all I've got to say on this subject for this week. So we'll see you again next week when we hope you will join us again on our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, act right, do right, stay right, and take care. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Finally moved out. Want to get a police dog. Yeah, not for protection or anything just to help me find my drugs.